Hello and welcome to another episode of Cafe Booleans. As always, I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, John, Susanna and Alex. How's it going? Hello. My coffee's cold. Hello, hello. Now the tea. And, and you're nice Costa tea. for Alex. I'm Costa, yeah, for everyone who <laughs> doesn't understand. Uh, have you met Costa? <laughs> uh, so I am actually starting this week with an article that I've brought. Um this one is around digital distribution and game prices, and it's a cool little article uh, written by Games Hub. And it's a good, uh, good article for people who are looking at pricing their games and just trying to understand the different ways of pricing their games and, and I guess all the different uh, types of models out there at the moment, like subscriptions and uh, self-publishing or publishing, you know, with a publisher on Steam or anything like that. But it's a really good article around that. Um, it goes into how, yeah, a lot of different statistics. I was just, I'll just list them off because there's a lot here. But uh, many game developers believe the standard thirty percent platform on. Uh, platforms like Steam, PlayStation, and Nintendo is too high. So some figures from the Game Developers Conference 2021 State of the Game Industry Survey. 71% of the of over 3,000 respondents believe digital storefronts should only receive 20% or less of each sale. So it's interesting to see that developers are now kind of, you know, pushing back a little bit. Um, uh, a couple of different places so yeah the industry standard platform fee is around 30 percent and that's like steam playstation nintendo epic game store in an attempt to sort of disrupt the market is at 12 percent. so they only take 12 percent from um developers and itch.io allows developers to set their own split with a default cut of 10 percent microsoft takes 30 percent of sales made through xbox's uh digital store while its PC marketplace recently changed to 12% in line with Epic. Um, another one, so it actually goes into uh, Aussie developers as well. So there's a developer in Canberra named uh, David Cribb who develops under the name Celestia and makes various uh, games with progressive themes, including an investigative thriller called A Hand With Many Fingers. Um, which was the game of the year at the 2020 Free Play Awards. And he frequently release, releases his games on itch.io and Steam. So he has a cool breakdown here of his experiences with publishing games. So as a self-published developer, he receives between 70 to 80% of each sale, and it all comes through itch.io um, with the default 10% platform fee, payment processing, currency exchange, and other fees. Um, he typically receives less than 65% of each sale on Steam, and it's also worth noting that all of his games include all include a flexible pricing option on itch.io, allowing players to pay what they can afford. Um, and he's put a pretty cool breakdown, uh, oh, sorry, another developer from Melbourne, um, Simon Boxer, he's put a pretty, pretty good uh, breakdown f on Twitter of how much he actually gets from each sale. So he goes... If published with a 50-50 split with a publisher, um, you roughly receive around 24 cents per dollar for every uh, unit sold. And if the publisher split is 70-30, you get about 34 cents. And then if you self-publish, you get f about 49 cents. So you're still losing like quite a lot just to publishing fees and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
there is a f yeah a lot a lot on this thing but you should definitely read it um, another cool thing that I thought I'd mention was around the game pass effect so it's kind of talking about how um, this new concept of like subscription has popped up through game pass and also Apple Arcade um, and some statistics from the IGEA um, so the interactive games and entertainment association uh, Digital Australia 2022 report, which we've mentioned on here before, says that as many as 48% of video game playing households use a subscription service. So that's quite a lot um, of an increase. And uh, it kind of goes into if this negatively impacts retail sales. And basically, it doesn't. It actually increases sales. And that's something that Alex and I have seen with a developer that we've spoken to before who actually said that it increased the amount of sales they got because it just got the game out there and people understood mm. it and, and saw it more. So um, there was uh, different developers who've actually spoken out and said, you know, if you've got millions of players playing your game on Game Pass and they're telling their friends who don't have Xbox, hey, I played this game, it's really cool, that kind of word of mouth generates sales elsewhere. Um, <clears throat> and again, this trend was confirmed by multiple developers where being available on one platform subscription servers uh, saw a boost of sales on another platform. And this also aligns with IGA's research, which found that 67% of surveyed households preferred to, go, to buy games on release rather than play them on a subscription service. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that because there's a lot there, but what does everyone think about this? And um, has, has anyone like had to go through this process of, of pricing a game or looking at this kind of stuff? I mean, I've been part of a team that's had to price the game, but uh, I've not directly priced the game. <laughs> well, yeah. What were the kind of thoughts that went into that, Alex? Well, um, should I think what what you can and can't say? Um, <laughs> it's like it's so that uh, that gentleman that got that got mentioned, and he says he releases his games his games on Steam. He's not releasing them on console, and that's the other mm. like you don't just have the publisher cut, you have the platform cut, and then you have, um, which I guess is Steam in that case, but you know, Xbox, Nintendo, they'd all have a, a cut. Then you have the software cut. So Epic, you know, I, I'm pretty sure a game that comes out on um, the Epic Game Store doesn't have to be made with Unreal Engine. Well, I mean, we just know that's, that it doesn't have to be, but they're already getting a cut once the game makes a certain amount of money. So maybe that's factored into their, their lower... 12%. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a few different things to factor in with uh, with costs, definitely. And, yeah, it, you do end up getting, like, that, that smaller piece. Even another thing on here as well was around Apple uh, Arcade and how much they were spending as soon as they started Apple Arcade to try to get developers to join their... Uh, platform and to develop for their platform so there was a lot of business development and sort of coming out and uh, trying to find developers and I had seen something an article uh, probably about a year or two ago where I think Apple was actually spending more than the Australian government to support developers to develop on their um, on Apple Arcade exclusively so there was there was games like uh, I think what was the big one that sort of Oregon Trail, which was from Gameloft, and that was exclusive to um, Apple Arcade. But I saw that there's actually so in this article it mentions that they've actually uh, reined in the amount of funding 
that they've been spending on games because they're having a shift in their strategy. So yeah, I assume it's probably not doing as well as they had thought it would. One, one thing I find interesting is uh, with Game Pass now and your kind of subscription-based models. Um, so, Because I, I come from a music background where we have things like Spotify and every other streaming service where there's been kind of, let's say, industry uh, discontent with their uh, payment systems where essentially what it has been is the more popular you are, the more you get paid per stream. Hmm. And so if you're like a little indie nobody... Uh, you get paid very, very little per stream compared to uh, if you're Ariana Grande, who would get paid a lot per stream. Um, that is possibly shifting on some streaming services, but not quite there yet. Um, I think SoundCloud is actually the first one looking at doing it as a direct per stream is uh, a certain amount of money. Um, but you know, now that we have subscription uh movies with Netflix and now we've got subscription games I, I wonder is it going to enter an in, a similar kind of model where you have your AAA titles earning more money per download compared to yeah. your indie ones yeah mm. the other thing is like I think oh yeah go mm. on. no it's just going to say like I think that um, the digital versus like boxed thing is like a challenge because I still like having a box of things, right? So, and I'm still willing to pay extra for the box, which is super because I got nowhere to store it, but I just like holding the thing, mm-hmm. all right? And like the, when the cost of that is the same, you're like, like, I feel like, why would I not buy the box? I'm getting something extra because I'm getting this nice box. Mm-hmm. But if it's a lot cheaper, then it's like a bit different, but obviously it's the costs are more if they're producing the discs so it's, it's again another well there's this there's this thing called um you guys I might, I might look it up while i say it the classic alex is just going to say something and <laughs> not know if, <laughs> n- know it exactly but it turns out it'll always be well, true well one day we'll be able to afford a research assistant to do it for us <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, um there's this thing i heard about called the switch tax switch um, tax which is basically because of what Susanna just said of because it's costs more to um, produce a physical copy of the game. And especially in Nintendo's God, whenever they can go cartridge based, they go cartridge based and that always costs more. So their games cost like 10% more online yeah, uh, yeah. for the switch version than they would for their like steam counterpart or something like that. So they line up with the same cost of the physical version. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, yeah, like, because we've got Hinoshi's really on Switch. Um, that, like, shouldn't be the case. Um, but I- interestingly, because uh, Susanna was saying she prefers the boxed, boxed version of things, I'm actually the opposite. I prefer the digital downloads um, simply because once I have it, it's kind of attached to my account and I don't have to store it anywhere and I kind of just config- forget about it for years and then come back to it and it's indefinitely there. You th- well, you, th- yeah. you think it is, but then when they remove well, it from the service, then you don't have it anymore. Yeah. Well, that is true. That is true. If they change that, well, then oof. What about when the internet fails and we're all just sitting around playing our boxed games? <laughs> <laughs> the apocalypse. <laughs> I-, I have to tell the audience the ir- irony of what Susanna's just said because it says her camera's disabled due to slow internet connection. <laughs> she's playing. A- she's playing a box games right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> <She is. laughs> It's great. <laughs> uh, another another part to this article actually as well was around. So 
we, we spoke about uh, the developer who put his game on both Steam and Itch. And it talks about the value in a video game. And in the context of that person, it actually mentions how on Steam, they priced the game, obviously, at a specific price. On Itch, they, they had a variable pricing, so it was whatever anyone wanted to mm. pay. Um, and there was actually a bunch of negative reviews on Steam complaining about the length so they didn't. He didn't actually get those criticisms on itch.io. Uh, so when the Steam user score was sitting at around sixty percent, the itch score was around ninety percent, and and he puts it down to the the difference partly coming down to the platform design. So Steam obviously doesn't allow for pay what you want pricing. So players mm. take a bigger risk when they purchase something experimental at full price. Mm. Um, and Steam also offers refunds. You know where a game has been played for less than two hours, but that you know definitely makes people think that a game is worthless if it's under two hours long well, well I that so much like it's so dumb nobody watches a movie that's only an hour 30 and says oh that wasn't as long as titanic i want my money back <laughs> yeah. come on like, what are we doing and, and that's the thing right like he, he talks about it how he's like i hate it the simplest way to ruin a game is to pad its runtime so that it offers more value for money because they're putting Definitely. a value on okay well it's going to take you two hours to figure out whether it's a good game well it must. Ha- it has to be longer than two hours for it to be a good game, you know. So it's You're just going to add grind, aren't you? Like, mm. well, yeah, yeah and um, off, throw off your balance. Lua, which you know, we talked to Blue Moon Games. Um, my mate Fish, Michael Fischetti, he was saying that um, that game just exists on itch, and it's it's doing great, right? Like the reviews are on are awesome and stuff like that, and they've just put the page up on Steam, um, and it's they're going to put it up on steam but they have to make it free for that reason because that game is like 10 minutes long mm. and that's kind of that's kind of messed up because i mean like yeah it was made in the game jam but that's still work they produce like Susanna's yeah. saying um and because they know it's that so everyone will just refund it so it i wonder then should it not be a it should there be like a completion override like if you completed 100 percent of the game it's like if you eat oh i guess Foodland doesn't do that. I was like, if you eat 100% of the bag of chips, like they're not going to give you your money back if you don't like it, but I'm pretty sure they do. <laughs> but I think we really? were discussing this earlier, actually, where could you do, like, based on achievements or something, where the mm. developer can put achievements within the game and actually choose the point of time of which the refund is yeah. no longer allowed. But like, it's like how they do, like, the racing games. Like, you can't, you can't shortcut through Mario Kart because there's, like, gates every so often they know you've passed this point you know you've passed this point Mm. or or, or you just change the pricing model like they've mentioned where it's like maybe it's a minimum of this much that that developer is willing to accept and then it's kind of like i don't know maybe five five dollars like at least five dollars i want for this game but like if if you want to pay more than that go ahead and do it like that kind Mm. of pay what you want people attach the value that they they feel is is what it should be whether you know whereas when a developer prices it they come at it saying this is what i think it's it's worth and you know that's when you have like sales and all that sort of stuff like because one of the one of the things that he mentions was actually that he the steam reviews changed when he split the he halved the price about a month later because the perceived (laughs) value of the game to the you know to the amount that they're paying yeah if, if well, I could you... play uh, devil's advocate for a second and I don't necessarily agree with this but um, if I'll make a parallel to uh, music and streaming again uh, one change that we've seen is 
because there's so much content now, uh, pop music has started moving choruses to the start of songs to hook people in uh, early. Um, And this has come a lot with playlists. So people will flick through playlists and you'll spend 10 seconds a song. And if if it doesn't immediately hook you, then you're on to the next one Mm. kind of thing. Now, I wonder whether that two hours, for a game that is longer than two hours, two hours should actually be plenty of time to hook you into a game. And if it hasn't, then you probably won't like the rest of the game. The, the problem yeah. is, I guess, with those shorter games then. With the shorter you, ones. So, yeah, it should be yeah. like on a scale, like a percentage scale like a, of time. Like if they theorize that this game is going to take seven hours to complete, and like, uh, uh, oh, why'd I pick seven? Nothing divides with seven. Um, <laughs> if you said your game takes four hours to complete, like, all right, you have 30 minutes. All right, you have 30 minutes of playtime and then you can, or if your game takes 10 minutes, all right, you have like three minutes of playtime. Yeah, it would be good if it was proportional. Yeah, yeah. Percentage of it, yeah. Well, that's why you have demos, that- you know? Like you have a demo or you have some kind of teaser. Mm. Because mm. like that that length thing that like is really bad for indies. Because like mm-hmm. sure like every AAA game is going to be X amount of hours because we got six thousand billion dev hours into it. But an indie game might have a small team. Mm. You're probably going to have like a really small runtime. It seems harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about like like th- I'm I'm now just throwing this out as a stupid idea because it's not something I've thought out, and I can imagine some balding business dude just being like well you, you don't understand how the, the Australian Consumer Act law works um, if you had like yes, that was spot on I'm saying this knowing was, it's stupid that was spot on thank you thank you like it's reprehensible like <laughs> and they, they always have to sit back and yeah. say, you just don't understand how the Consumer Act works Alex you've just pissed off one of our biggest listeners <laughs> I don't know who it is but I'm sure they're out there <laughs> All right, what's, what's, what's your opinion? reading the blog. <laughs> what if, and again, knowing it's a stupid idea, you had, because publishers or whoever would abuse it, but you had like an insurance thing. Like, you know how there's like games that have, like you go to EB Games and they're like, oh, would you like to buy um, disc protection? And you're like, absolutely not, because I'm not <laughs> going to throw my game in the sand or anything. <laughs> if you had that, but for return policies, right? Like they were like, look, okay, your game's going to cost 15% cheaper but you cannot get a refund. Like on indie titles, let's say, indie mm. titles. But you say 15% cheap, I'm just throwing that number out, and you can't get a refund or whatever they, f- like a good estimate to figure out what the indies are, but you pay full price and if you don't like it, you can get your money back. Uh, Alex, that's I think that's against gamble. the consumer protection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just don't understand how the, how the laws work. <laughs> oh, yeah, I tell you what, Alex, look, Nintendo already does this for the bonus of no, ref- uh, no uh, discounted price. You just... Don't get to refund it, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Shigeru Miyamoto goes, what money? <laughs> I know he's not in charge, but he's... It's throwing it like down one of those Mario tunnels. What's three trillion dollar bill? <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of... Um, like, a, a lot of technologies developed today, like, across games, across even... I, you know, I want to come back to that music thing you were saying, John. But um, a lot of things, it, it feels like changing gears right like as technology advances it's like going up in a gear where your bike or your car slows down but it can achieve a greater thing so like you know 20 years ago indie developers developing on the nintendo 64 isn't really a thing where now they have the technology to do that so like maybe like it's a shift there, there can be a shift in thinking of like 
because there's so much content out, right? As you were saying, that you you do that that model of I'll price a game what I think it's no, like I will let the consumer pay what they think it's worth. Maybe the consumer's fair on it, mm. like. I don't know what I was getting at with the, the gear shift, but like it's easier to make a game is what I, is, mm. is what I mean. Mm. It's like, mm. like you know, like when um like they, they they do this stuff with like local gardens and stuff like that, like fruit and veg. They're like pay what you think is fair because mm. they had the technology to pump it out faster. Where like back in the day, they didn't. There was like they had overheads. They have to charge a certain amount. Now it can be a bit more, you know. It'd be interesting to know how how those things yeah. go when they charge what they think is fair if they actually get a good amount. I, th I think you brought up an interesting point as well um, and also uh, what Susanna was saying about physical copies is back when everything was physical, if you didn't like a game, you could actually then resell it and you've mm. got that whole secondary market there. So mm. there was no need. I mean, yes, you could get refunds, but there's no need for like that necessity because it's like you don't like it, just resell it, try and make your money back or whatever. Um, but That's you can't do that with digital now. It's not an option anymore, yeah. Unless they're NFTs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what's the timer? We're 21 minutes in and NFTs have come up. I didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up this time. So. <laughs> um, no, but uh, you, you bring a, yeah, a good point there, Alex, around like um, people valuing uh, games at what they want to, you know, if they, if they just put a price down of what they want to pay. It almost uh, makes people want to buy it versus like you you might look at a game price and say it's $15 that's too much I'm not going to pay for it but then if I had it as a pay as you want someone might pay 30 bucks for it and then you might pay a dollar for it I'm still uh, you know making money on it um, and someone that wouldn't have played it is now playing it even even if it's at a lower price you know so you're getting more yeah. customers just by doing that and I mean, it would be interesting to see, to see like developers who, even maybe that developer who had at, at both price points or through both distribution of Steam and itch.io to see the breakdown of profits from each one. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I just had a thought actually, because uh, we we're talking about Nintendo. I remember uh, one of the previous games I was playing um, had a game demo, and that's something that Nintendo games do often provide. Mm hmm. Um, mm. And that is actually a way to try out the first proportion of a game based on what the developer wants at no cost. Um, and basically, if you don't like it by the end of the demo, you don't buy it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I wonder if there's a way for indie small games to do demos in a way where oh you get the first half of a game or something. If there is, they have to do it different from Nintendo and, I, and that's an easy task to do. Um, but the, the Nintendo's... The, the problem with Nintendo is it counts as a different app. And I, I imagine it's the same with other platforms, but it doesn't say, like, if you... Oh, what game was it? I think I bought the demo for um, Game Dev Simulator. No, Game Dev Tycoon, whatever is that pixel art one. And um, I made big progress in the demo. And then you have to buy the separate game and it's a different app. And you're like, God, yeah, I've got to do this all over again. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've played a few where it transfers the save file over. Ah. So it, it can definitely be done. And I mean, like... I might get shot for saying this, but I'm wondering whether if that's the case, maybe this is actually a problem for the indie developers to solve uh, who are mm. making short games. Let's Do they need a, to find a new creative way to create demos? Costa, can we get game dev Dacoon devs on and <laughs> corner them? Because <laughs> I think with Hinosis, we just used the first two levels as mm. the demo. Oh, well, so you actually released a demo so then? So. Yeah. Yeah, on, on, um, that was on Switch. 
and then I don't know if it saved the progress or not. <laughs> do, do you know, I don't know if you can talk about this, but did you see any stats of who, how many people play the demo versus the full game? I haven't f looked or found out, but that's interesting. I'll, uh, I'll see if I can talk about that sometime. The other, <laughs> was, that, was the demo out on all the platforms or just Steam or just Switch? Steam, oh. Itch, and Switch, <coughs> but they all have different pricing. Mm -hmm. Steam itch and switch. That sounds cool. <laughs> Steam itch switch. <laughs> Steam itch and switch. Steam and itches equals switch. Switch Stitch. Something. Something that um. I mean, like, you know, we're, we're talking game dev, but I think John, you, you said something really interesting before that I didn't know about. And right, I interesting or interesting. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> was it the chorus thing? Because I was, was hoping we could get back to that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get cancelled for it or interesting? Like, let's have a discussion. <laughs> <laughs> that means more views on the podcast. So cancel away. John Rogan here. No, it was... What did you say? Uh, one was the chorus thing, yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was that. Actually, I mean, this is partly... Costa, that, so. play back that sound clip. <laughs> <laughs> no, you said... Um, Spotify pays based on how popular you are, mm. let alone yep. how many streams you have. That's kind of messed up. If you don't know, like, yeah. I've never heard anything like that before. That's, yeah, so is that just it's, generally accepted? It's, uh, like I could tell you what the current state is, but I don't think it's changed too far from that. And it's not just Spotify. It's every streaming platform, more or less. Uh, SoundCloud is the only one I've heard that has implemented or is implementing a one stream equals this much money system. Um, and... Yeah, it hurts a lot of people who aren't super famous, but I do also understand it because it's the super famous people that draw listeners to a platform. So, yeah. for example, Tidal, I mean, yes, they've got high-quality audio and that's their whole push, but, I mean, their whole marketing thing was that they had a whole lot of celebrities become business partners of the product, and that's what pulled a whole lot of people in. So, mm. same way, if you're Joe Rogan, for example, on Spotify... Um, uh, like yes podcasts work differently but let's say he's a musician um, a lot of people would go to Spotify if they want Joe Rogan so he is then more valuable to them well that was the th yeah. thing right so because um, a few years ago and I say speaking of Joe Rogan but this has nothing to do with Joe Rogan it's just got to do with the current news of the whole Neil Young stuff a few years ago I'm pretty sure Neil Young was suing Spotify because he was only getting paid like point zero zero something cent per stream and he was like, that's not fair. And they basically said, well, you sold your rights years ago. Take it up with your publisher. Yep. Um, and then there were other musicians who were like, yeah, what's he talking about? I make a great living like Everlast um, and stuff like that who own their rights. They're like, I make a great living. So the narrative that got developed from that was if, you don't, if you're not in the know like you are of, oh, okay, they must pay well um, if you own your, your rights. But you're saying if you own your rights but you're not Everlast if you're not it still doesn't really well yeah so um, I think it's it's different now but I checked mine like six months ago and I was I think for 600 listens I got five dollars <laughs> so <laughs> enough to make good. myself a copy <laughs> so, is it uh, smart enough to know if I just put it on repeat uh, they probably work it out I haven't tried it yet though <laughs> I want it to be <laughs> at least semi-legitimate so um, <laughs> but um I mean, that who who knows like the case with uh, Neil Young because um, they would be paying out the rights holders, and that goes to you know the record label or whoever, and then they split it up between them. Um, each mm. each artist situations would be different, 
Um, I personally go direct through DistroKid, uh, which is a website which I may actually be partially owned by Spotify. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but it, so, yeah. yeah, I guess I see most of my money, even though it's still very small. Um, if you're a musician from probably more than 10, 15 years ago, you most likely signed up to a record label mm. and there's all kind of divvying up of profits there. It'd be the same in the games industry. So, yeah. you know, publishers take a certain amount before studios probably get uh, profits. It's interesting to see the parallels between the games industry and the music industry. A lot of, I mean, mm. when Spotify started, you wouldn't have seen Spotify paying like artists to be mm. on their platform like we see with games now. Like Xbox, Apple, they're paying so much for developers to flock to their or, or even make games exclusive to their uh, streaming platform, which is which is kind of like reminiscent of the consoles themselves. It's like the streaming service is a console in it. In it. So like they're, they're acting as if it's, you know, in the context of, a, of the games industry where it's like Xbox had exclusives and now Game Pass is trying to get exclusives and that sort of stuff. Um, do you feel like this open question, do you feel like that dynamic might shift to be a bit more like Spotify in the way that the the amount of money that you get back as a developer isn't as strong as it is at the moment where people are trying to get, you know, the, the streaming services are trying to get developers onto their streaming service? Look, I, I really hope not because um, the kind of cheap answer that's come from Spotify and other streaming services is that um, unless you're huge, um, you don't go on streaming services to make money. Mm. You go on them to get fans and then you make your money mm. through live shows and merchandise. Mm. So if you have game studios then having to make money through merchandise, yeah, that's right. that it's, is not a pretty picture. Yeah, like Which what happens? might change now. I mean... Uh, SMG Studios put out a Twitter post recently saying they're banning, not banning, they're discontinuing all their physical merchandise mm. um, because it's not, you know... Environmentally friendly, I think it was. Yeah. I didn't realize all their stuff was radioactive, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, don't, I, don't, I understand why they would have cancelled it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just, yeah, I thought it was an interesting dynamic to see that. Uh yeah. Well, it would be interesting Spotify. to see what happens. I mean, because Netflix has been around for a while now. Um, I can't speak on the movie industry, but, you know, that it's a subscription model, the same. So yeah. I, I don't think that they're relying see, on yeah. merch. But see, those... your Star Wars. Yeah, but see, the, again, like, the difference between Netflix... Netflix is probably more like Xbox Game Pass because they are paying for content to be well Netflix used to be like that and they've shifted then they've shifted like I don't know 10 years ago to making their own original IP um, whereas say YouTube right YouTube how much original IP do they put out really none <laughs> like they had and when they do they who YouTube, cares <laughs> they had YouTube Red for a while I don't even know what happened to that where they were I think Cobra Kai and things like that like was coming out of there but I don't even know I think they maybe got discontinued where they were paying creators but it was creator first it still is like YouTube creators, well, you know, some of them that are really popular get heaps, but some of the smaller ones, they don't get much. And it's probably more like Spotify now. 
They, yeah, that YouTube music thing. Like, I switched to YouTube music from Spotify last year because I read that YouTube music were giving artists double what Spotify was, was doing. But like, I don't uh, know if that's see, the case. I, cause I read that as well, and I also made that switch partly also because I just use YouTube a lot and get the... My phone doesn't go to sleep when I lock it, kind of thing. Um, (laughs) But then the last I heard, it was actually less than Spotify. So (laughs) so I just shifted. Well, I don't know. I guess it's changing. I haven't looked at it recently. But YouTube has this. So sorry, continue. Oh, I was just going to say, it's definitely like I definitely don't put my music on Spotify to make money. Mm. Um, Mm. That dream died a long time ago. It's for me. It's uh, again, devil's advocate to them. They've made a fantastic platform. And I mean, and not just Spotify now, the rest are doing it too. Is uh, Yes, I'm not making a lot of money off of it, but anyone can listen to my music anytime they're connected to the internet. Any release I want to make, I can do myself from my chair. I'm sitting right here kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 Um, uh, you just reminded me, Susanna, when you were saying that. Uh, I was watching, I don't know if you guys have seen this because I didn't, I'm, I'm also a YouTube premium subscriber. And um, so, like, I got some email about it, but it looks like they're doing the same thing as now Twitch, where you can do donations. So, like, I've got streamers I follow on YouTube. Like, they mm-hmm. record their Twitch streams and they put the the vods on YouTube. And now they're, they're called thanks. So I'll send you guys this screenshot. I'll show you what I mean. It appears here in the bottom. It goes like, dislike, share, thanks. Where's uh, where's our thing? Um, and uh, you know the base rate it says is two dollars is this here we go um and then i was looking it up and i think youtube keeps 30 percent of it of course roughly uh, yeah oh my god it's like patreon right. but, um, they're like trying to shortcut patreon yeah it says much. show support with super thanks so two dollar thanks five dollars ten dollars fifty dollars doesn't look like you can do a custom amount you say buy and send and then you to learn more it says something about yeah it's a one-time they're like calling it a clapping animation that will be shown to you over the top of the video as an added bonus. Um, it's, a do- it's a donation, basically. Yeah. It's so a they're calling them super thanks. Subscription but they need 30% as well. Of it. Yeah. I think you can, because I, I joined one of those uh, probably about six months ago as a like a subscriber, and you get perks, which are kind of like Twitch perks, where you get you know specific emojis in the chat or whatever. Um, and I think you can get like certain unlisted content. You get access to that. So it is pretty much a combination of Patreon and Twitch. Um, and, uh, but I discontinued it pretty shortly afterwards because I had no need for it. So. And I noticed that um, Spotify has a similar function, but it, it, yeah. you know they're not in the gaming industry. They have um, there's a band that I follow that I know has their thing. It basically you do a transfer through the Cash App. I think it is. Um, this is a band I love. And if you go, so if you go to a, some band's homepages on Spotify, uh, oh, they've taken it off because it was for co- it was for COVID support. Yeah, it wasn't like a function built uh, into it for permanently. It was a COVID relief thing. Mm-hmm. So you would go to a band who'd signed up for it, and it would say make a donate. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was through the Cash App, which is an American, you know, money transfer app. And it, it's super weird because then you click on it, and it's like the name of the account of like the musician themselves like not the band or it's not like some third party it's like this kind of it's kind of kind of weird well Ca- but um cash up is owned by jack dorsey isn't it jack dorsey who now owns uh title which is uh spotify does he he owns title now yeah so ah. right because yeah so jack dorsey who was one of the co-founders of twitter 
and then recently left, like a few months ago, a couple months ago. Uh, oh, he started Square as well, mm. payments and Cash App. Oh, yeah. and, and then they just rolled yeah. it all together into, it's called Box or something. It's some other square-shaped thing. And, <laughs> and it's meant to be a after like a multiversal yeah. platform for <laughs> all their apps. Just everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. It was with the Cash App. Um, $1 million relief effort for artists during the challenging times. But I wonder if they could... You reckon that would benefit from it, like a donate, like a permanent donation? Because I gave a few artists some like Can't. twenty bucks here and there. Because I've I've never like even if you've got you know free Spotify, it's kind of like a like I've listened to podcasts forever, never had to pay anything. You just kind of want to like show some kind of support, especially artists, as you said before, John. They're making their money from mm. the live music, so if that's gone, so yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe well, Epic awesome. or Steam or someone should implement something like that. Well, okay. Just just as another parallel to the games, um, Bandcamp uh, hmm. was basically itch for music back in the day, and it still is. Um, but I think with streaming, I know I've personally used it a lot less. But it's it's one of the pay what you want websites. Mm-hmm. You can usually get stuff for free, um, or you know pay what you want. So it's that's a good way. Um, I mean, Patreon's good as well, but. Mm. It's always hard to know it is. how to support Patreon, the artist the best. Yeah, and and it feels like you have to as a content creator. It, I imagine I don't have a patron, but I feel like you you'd you'd feel like you'd now have to offer more. Like what you're offering at a base rate isn't good enough. I have to incentivize you to actually pay me for the free work. Mm. And may, look, maybe this is something. I, I hope it doesn't get to this, but um, I know with certain musicians as well, I've asked them. You know, what's the best way to kind of support you and it's generally like directly <laughs> just transfer yeah. your money to this bank account <laughs> or, yeah. or something or they'll generally tell you you know like whichever one they prefer um I, I know i bought a compilation album of one of my favorite musicians uh he was like one of the songs on it and i i messaged him afterwards i'm like hey i just bought this album just wondering how much you get from this i um, mean it's like oh yeah not that i i got ripped off for that and got paid 50 bucks oh, no. and it's now since got like you know Hundred thousand downloads, or something. so. Oh so I mean, Pat, hopefully that's not the case with studios where you have to go to them directly and ask them. You know, what's the best way to support you? But yeah, it, it's a good not. discussion to have, though. Yeah, for sure. Changing it up a bit, John, you want to talk about? Yes, we we're talking Pokemon. about indie studios and uh, Nintendo not giving refunds. <laughs> so, want to talk about the indie studio Game Freak? <laughs> <laughs> that cute little, Just studio. cute little studio risen from the ashes new little thing we're hearing about <laughs> yeah <God's been>. uh, <laughs> yeah they're definitely no Niantic so. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway uh, so I came across this article about Pokemon Legends Arceus Arceus however you want to pronounce it um, talking about how players are spending forever in just the first area and um when I saw this article, uh, a lot of people around me were playing the game and I wasn't and they were all loving it and I was like, I've kind of been burnt by Pokemon a number of times. So I'm kind of like, uh, I wasn't going to do it. But eventually I saw this article, I'm like, well, it must be good if people were spending 10 plus hours in the first area. So um, I actually ended up then downloading it, giving it a shot and I really like it. For any Pokemon fans out there, it is a very good creative uh, direction. So, um, but... I also thought this was interesting because it's kind of reflective of how a lot of games are trying to go open world. Um, and this game does the first open world area particularly well. 
Um, but I wanted to bring it up for you guys' thoughts of your experiences with open world games. Do you do you like these uh, open world massive areas at the start of games, or do you find that overwhelming? Depends. I will. I will. Go, I'll go last because I, I jumped in on the last one. So actually, I'm here to keen to hear Susanna because you're very narrative driven and open world and narrative is an interesting balance. Yeah, it puts me off. I don't not like it, but I go, oh, do I have the time mm. to commit to this? It, you know, whereas like with a narrative game that's got like X amount of playtime, I prefer smaller games because it's less of a commitment that I have to make. Mm. Right? Like if I'm going into an open world game, like, yeah, it looks beautiful and there's heaps of stuff I can do, but I feel like it might have MMO effect on me where like I don't sleep because, you know, I need to look at this area completely and there's a rock over there and, oh my God, I'll look at it in the morning, but no, oh, now it's 4am. Okay. Like, so I'm, I'm careful, but it does look really beautiful and I would, would like to check it out if I can allow myself to. Mm. <laughs> it is definitely dangerous <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, yeah. My my thought is it depends on the way the game is designed. Mm. So, uh, three examples that I, I that I can quickly try and summarize. Breath of the Wild, of course, is the cliche one that I think does it the best because there's so much content. But what you're, it's so bite sized mm. because it, it's it uses the same theory as the entire console is they every a Nintendo IP made for the Switch is handheld. Um, they know that you're either playing it for a two-hour setting or you're playing it for 15 minutes on public transport. So they kind of keep that focus. So where a game that's doing really well in open world, but I actually personally, and you guess what I think, don't like is Halo. I don't mm. think Halo does it well because Halo, they're still doing the whole narrative-driven thing where you know each section is cinematic. It ties into this giant cutscene. Um, progresses the story but Halo's known for being you know you can repeat it you can go back to it because these are epic moments you don't want to play a whole game to get to a cutscene that happens 75% of the way in or feel that moment but that's pretty much gone to you and they don't give you that chance to like go back to the area and replay the mission that's gone especially when they tie achievements into that you have to start a whole new file all over again just to get to that point and I haven't seen really anyone bring that up online so I guess most people are cool with that but to me it just feels like an oversight. And then the last example is a bit of an old game, but Metal Gear Solid Five, which had a really fun open world to traverse, but had nothing to do in it. And the things that had to do in it was repeated all the time. And every time you load it into it, you have to watch a credit scene where Kojima pat himself on the back for every job. Um, and yeah, there was, just, there was just nothing to do in that world. So yeah, Zelda does it great. Halo, I don't think, did it very well, and Metal Gear didn't do it any justice. Mm. So it all depends on what the content is inside the open world. So it's kind of around that aim, isn't it? It's like, is there something to do, and is it targeted? Like, do you know what you have to do, and are you able to do it without going to, you know, traveling for an hour, like, aimlessly? It's kind of, yeah. Does it feel like a grind? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I'm the same. Like, I... Open world games, I don't play too many, but when I play them, I just get overwhelmed with with how much there is, and then I just think like I don't have the time for this. And but when it's but when it's so targeted in terms of like I know what I have to do and where I have to go, and 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 it's tight like very closely tied to the narrative. I I don't have an issue traversing that, you know, 
20, 30 minutes to get to where I need to be. Um, and I'm someone that doesn't really do all the side quests and, you know, go down all those different paths. I just want to do the main narrative and I, and I want it because it's, it's like purposeful. Like I'm, I've only, I'm spending my time on this. Like I want it to feel like it has some meaning to it. Yeah. Like you're achieving yeah. what you set out to be. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or I, but, but then on the flip side, I do enjoy MM, like an MMO because I feel like because there's other people in the same environment, it feels productive in a way as well. Like it feels kind of again meaningful or purposeful because there's other people playing and and we're all playing at the same time and that, i guess that's the the effect of an mmo what mm. mmos were you playing uh i was big into I, I played world of warcraft for a little bit like two months and then i was like <laughs> started getting addicted i was like i gotta cut this and then um <laughs> old republic that was one that i really loved uh, yeah <laughs> that's my that's my sink anymore yeah. like i can't touch it anymore <laughs> but yeah that was so, those two so for some context, uh, this game, uh, Pokemon Legends, is fairly narrative focused, I've seen so far. But it, it kind of does that thing of kind of gradually expanding the, I guess, fence around you. So you start very small and it gradually expands. Um, personally, so on contrast, Minecraft is a game I could never get into because it was, to me, it was too free. Like what you were saying, Costa, yeah. it was, I had no idea what I needed to do in there. Um, and I kind of didn't really care to find out because it was kind of like I didn't really know where to start kind of mm -hmm. thing um, obviously you know a lot of people love that game so that's not anything about the game um, this game I'm finding has hooked me more probably partly because I have the history I understand kind of Pokemon games a bit more um, but I think more so it does have that kind of yeah increasing fence line let's say it. Um, and to go back to the last topic, I think this one actually hooks you well at the start, mm. which is something not a lot of the previous games have done. Um, and not a lot of open world games do that well, where they kind of just drop you into the endless void. <laughs> and you go, So what? why is it that they're spending so long in the open area? Uh, I'm sorry, in the first area? It's just because of that. It's, it's just like people the mechanics wanna, are tight. Yeah. yeah, there's. I mean, there's a fair bit to explore there. Um, part of the mechanic is that uh, you kind of... There's collectibles and all that stuff, but you also, you know, you go and you catch different Pokemon and um, you kind of your Pokedex in it. You go in and each Pokemon has different research tasks. For example, you know, defeat this many of the Pokemon, catch this many of it, use this certain type of move on it. It's kind of like mini missions for each Pokemon. And so you have like a whole lot of kind of mini side quests on top of like actual side quests, on top of the actual like narrative storyline. So um, it... It is, I think, a narrative story that runs through kind of big spaces that are open to their exploration to a certain extent. Is that main yeah. character wearing bread bags on their feet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. They kind of look like it. Uh, it's interesting. Oh, you don't like my bags. <laughs> it's interesting, like, reading the... I'm reading in the article, and it they've, seems like they've changed a little bit of the exploration stuff from the existing Pokemon games. Like, it says here, unlike in previous Pokemon games where you're working off a pre-programmed Pokedex in... Arceus or however you say it, you're filling out the very first decks from scratch, meaning you have to engage with the same Pokemon dozens of times before you can max out its individual entry. This means you're not just one and done collecting or grinding purely for XP. These data mm. collection efforts earn you money and also increase your Galaxy team ranks, which in turn unlocks recipes for new items to aid you in your research. The net result is a satisfying progression loop that's still ultimately in the service of the game's main attraction, helping you discover, capture, and learn about new Pokemon. 
so it's yeah, cool they've like changed without, it. Yeah. Without this trying to be an advert or anything, because not everyone will like it. Um, they've changed a number of things about it without completely changing the actual core of what Pokemon is. Um, the battle system's slightly different. It's a lot more seamless um, between just running around and mm -hmm. battling and stuff like that. Um, it's, it works slightly differently. Um, and I think that's probably maybe a separate point is I don't know what's going on at the studio, but it is interesting they actually made these decisions uh, whether they're planning to spin this off as a separate side series mm. or whether they're going to focus their energies here now. They've definitely, like some decisions were made mm. that certain things weren't working <laughs> or, or let's try something different. Yeah. And I mean, everyone I've talked to has yeah. really liked these new I mean, uh, changes. It seems like a different like, style, but when I read this article, I'm like, they've hit, they've hit the nail on the head this game is an exploration game and people are spending 10 hours in the first level. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the designers knew what they would do. Like, you know, they had a, they had a kind of player in mind and, and just based on these results, it's like they're hitting that because people are just spending hours and hours exploring. Mm. It says that the, the, um, your Pokemon can interact with each other too, which is pretty cool. Like, whereas, you know, like in the other games. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, it's I think that's cool. That, like, because, you know, you're always kind of like, oh, okay, I've got these Pokemon and they're following me around and they're in these balls and, like, whatever. <laughs> in your bag. But, like, yeah. you know, none of them are Pikachu. Like, no, you know, none of them can come and, mm. like, interact with, with yeah. each other and they don't have seem to have relationships. But this is kind of cool. Like, you can maybe, I don't know how in depth it goes, but yeah. giving more character to them as, like, members of your party rather than just, like, very much, mm. very much. Things. Well, so, oh. I mean, it's not really a spoiler because it's early in the game. You're basically part of the village that have just invented the very first Pokeballs. Ooh. Um, and cool. then you're also helping these other clans set in feudal Japan, feudal kind of imperial Japan. That's awesome. Um, mm. Neighboring clans don't yet use that technology, nor do they necessarily believe it's right. <laughs> um, but they bring up, you know, other things about it. It's like the Pokemon's choice to go on the Pokeball. There's... The actual game story, um, I've only played probably, I don't know, eight hours of it or something like that. Um, do they say it's the Pokemon's choice to go on the Pokeball? Yeah, they actually do, sounds, which I thought was an interesting. Every game has made it pretty uh, clear. Yeah. You throw it at its head. Well, you weaken it and then I'll leave it up to interpretation. <laughs> yeah. Give it berries or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It struggles. It literally says it broke free. <laughs> no, yeah, it wants to I be know. in there. Well, no, they, and they still do that too. Look. We'll leave that discussion for a, uh, a specific episode about this game. <laughs> that is but, really cool. Um, in, that, in that different episode, can we talk about why Mr. Mime should not exist? Jinx. <laughs> 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 we certainly can. Oh, man, that would be great. Pokemon episode. Um, but, oh, I mean, no. the story in this as well, they, uh, it's kind of set in the, uh, for the Pokemon nerds out there, the Sinnoh Generation 4 kind of area, but it's set in the past. And so... What you're seeing in the story, there's a lot of kind of like historical things that actually link up with, you know, you might see the ancestors of old characters and things like that. Um, and it's definitely, like you said, Susanna, more kind of fleshed out than a lot of other games. Um, like I said, this so, is not an advert for it, <laughs> but, well, but I, I wanted to discuss the open world aspect though, because it, a lot of games are heading that way. It all sounds, you know, really good, and I'm almost convinced. Does it autosave? You can turn that off, but it does. I, yes. I want it to autosave. Yep. Okay, so I had... Uh, oh, my trauma. God. Trauma. <laughs> yeah, I had... <laughs> <laughs> trauma. Had, I have. I have trauma from Let's Go Pikachu. 
10 hours in that game, I am used to the autosave feature. My game crashes, I lose 10 hours of work because I just put my Switch to sleep. That's all I do. And I refuse to play that game ever again. Um, so if this has autosave, then well done, Nintendo. You have earned my money in particular. <laughs> Talking about features that should have been in games like 20 years ago, Nintendo's just putting them in there. (laughs) Yeah, and they still have the old-fashioned save. Like, you'd have to pause. I just wasn't expecting that. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, if it has that, if it has that, I'm 100% on board. (laughs) Anyway, on that note, we should probably hand over to Costa for some... Another interesting article about... I'm just reading this. Shadow Gangs. What's that? Yeah, well... I'm a fan of old school games, uh, old school consoles. So I, li- I like the Sega Dreamcast, which was a console that came out in 1999, um, was the last Sega console that came out. Um, and it's still receiving new games to this year. Like it, there's still games coming out for this console. Um, so there's a game that's just been announced called well it's not been announced but it's called shadow gangs um and they have a kickstarter out at the moment um and it's it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up um again like this is a console that came out in 1999 so there's technical limitations on the kind of games that can come out um but it's a game that came out on steam and xbox in 2020 and a switch port came out uh, in 2021 and it was a really great game a lot of positive reviews um and now the developer is actually looking to port it to the uh dreamcast so there's a lot of games like this that 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 come out um, and have come out over the past few years where they come out on computer and they come out on Xbox and then there's always a Switch port, uh, Switch, and then a Dreamcast port that comes out. Um, just because there's there's still a thriving community, like a little niche. That's really cool. Community. It's like a cult following. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a huge cult following in this uh, in this space. Um, but yeah, I thought would um, plug it because. I'm a Dreamcast fan, so if anyone's keen to see a game on the Dreamcast, uh, it's out on Kickstarter. I think they're raising, they're looking to raise about 47,000 Australian dollars. They're at 36,000 at the moment, um, about 22 days to go. Um, yeah, I mean, check it out. It's pretty cool. It's cool that like they're pressing these new games. Um, and I wanted to also add Maybe it's worth sort of thinking about like when people make games, do they think about like this long-term thing? Do they think about the legacy that their game will have in 10 years? You know what I mean? Do they think that like, do people think that far along? Like, or is it just kind of, this is something I've got and I want to put it out there. Like I know Nintendo, you know, or just Japanese companies as, as a, as a, uh, as a general thing that they do, they they look to build companies that last a hundred years, not not the next ten years. Like they always think about legacy. Um, mm-hmm. And Nintendo has been around since what eighteen fifties. You know, like it's a, yeah. it's a company that's endured for so long. So I'm just yeah. What's everyone's thoughts on this, really? <laughs> as in the legacy of the? Oh, you're talking about the legacy of the of the game and not the console, or both? Both, like when someone puts something out as a creator when you put something out do you think of the like if it has enduring legacy or is it kind of something that you just think of in the in the now yeah i'm like is anyone ever gonna like this thing that i made at all (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's a good point because i i think that's a really brave thing to do yeah like to think as a creator yeah that's right because there's 
you're truly doing it for the love of it, like they will most likely not make their money back on that. Mm. 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 Yeah, yeah. Well, and they're asking for like a weird amount. It's like not even an even number. It's like it's down to the two dollar. Mm. Um. Oh, that's <laughs> it might be a translation because it says yeah. in the original article it's twenty seven thousand pounds. Twenty five thousand pounds, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's like thirty three yeah. US, thirty three thousand US. Which you think about it, that's like, that's, that's not much. Like to that's not port much. a game, you know. Mm. Over. Yeah. Um. I I would think. I mean, it. You know, like when you look back to like. 2002 or 2001 and like the first Spider-Man movie comes mm. out and back then we were like oh my god this is amazing and like you're not really thinking is this gonna look good in mm. now we do because it's so everything's so online and we have archives of everything we're like oh this is gross but like back then we we're like oh this is awesome those sunglasses that wrap around your head look sick um, <laughs> and uh, now we look at it and we're like this is this is gross but they probably yeah. thought at the time that was gonna last mm. forever mm. yeah or like, you know, it, the Xbox, you know, like most of the f- original Xbox is like core early 2000s gross Kyle culture, you know, like <laughs> Kyle culture, hashtag Kyle culture. Yeah, that's right. Like, I they- saw this TikTok that was like a clip from Titanic and it was like a CG part from the original Titanic movie where like the captain, he just walks out of the door and walks over to the balcony Right, and it was like so bad CG that I didn't believe that it was in the actual movie. I was like, okay, someone's just trolling with this TikTok. And I went and checked, and it's legit. It's actually in the movie. It's just that, like, back then we were like, we didn't even notice yeah. that it was that bad because it was just impressive or whatever. But yeah. it looks like it's the worst walk cycle. It's like janky and like it's like like a robot. Like you, you're not. <laughs> but, yeah. Now you would be so. like, oh my god, what? So Titanic, <laughs> where like in the peak scenes in that movie, the CGI was a million dollars a minute. I'm pretty oh, wow. sure. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, how? I had, a, I had a teacher who turned out to be a bit of a uh, con artist, and I can actually say that because there's, there's news articles about this guy. So I don't know <laughs> if this story is true. Um, if you know me, I'll, I'll tell you what, what the articles are. Um, but he said he worked in the editing room. Well, he was visiting, sorry, he was visiting the editing room of Titanic, and James Cameron was in there, and he like pulled out, you know, he's editing it like the old way. You have the film, and you cut it with the guillotine. And he reckons he like pulled this strip, cut it, it fell on the floor and he looks to the teacher and he's just like, that's a million dollars right there on the floor or something like that. But then the guy <laughs> pretended to be royalty, Polish royalty. So who, who the hell knows? <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> royalty, and he's one. got like a one minute of Titanic in his pocket. <laughs> oh yeah, probably. Oh my God. Uh, uh, yeah. One thing I'm wondering with this story is not being a Sega is it mm. Sega? Yeah, Sega. Boy, myself. Uh, Dreamcast, was that the last console they released? Last one, yep. Do you think that helps its enduring legacy, that there was never another Sega console afterwards? 100%. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the other consoles still have a pretty big uh, following. Like, there's still games. I think there's still games that even come out for, like, the NES, you know. Yeah. They're true. kickstarted. But you're right. There's a cult following because it's the last console that they put out. And so there's still that, it's like bitter bitterness, you know, bittersweet, you know. <laughs> they like made that game with bitterness. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> doing this for revenge. It's like a bittersweet thing. Like it was the last one, and you know, it's, they're kind of trying to keep it going as long as possible. Um, but it, but it is like a lot of the games that come out, they're always pretty good games. Like the the, the mm. games that um, 
you know, have have been a hit on another console, and now they're just looking to port it because it's a game that's quite simplistic in terms of graphics and that sort of stuff. That it's it is possible to port over to to Dreamcast. So, what games or series do all of you think uh, is like timeless that they could mm. just continue on from, or something like that? Are we we gonna make this our question to the Discord? Oh, that's a good idea. We can yeah, do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Right. Maybe, well, maybe let's start with you guys. is it so, like maybe like stuff that's still like around now that's new that? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's a good one. Like what, well, what's coming out now? Wait, if, if it's not around anymore, it's probably not timeless. <laughs> well, okay. Well, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Because you're saying what's out now that, that will be timeless. Perhaps that will be timeless. And then we'll have a, a Bullions reunion in 20 years. It'd be like predictions. You idiot. <laughs> Dude, bullions are still going to be going in 20 years. What are you talking about? Of course it will be. <laughs> uh, okay, games. Games. It's it's hard to not just go like Legend of Zelda or like one of the already... Yeah, that already... But yeah. you, you're talking new games, like unpacking. Uh, I, don't know, I haven't well, played it myself, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, th- there's a few factions and, and it's also... It's worth noting, what are you considering to be timeless? Like, are you looking at the art as timeless? Are you looking at the music as timeless? Are you looking at the narrative, the game mechanics? Like, for, like you know. Are, are we talking like, sorry, more clarification here. We're talking like this one specific game or are we talking like the IP? Because, mm. for example, yeah, Legend of Zelda, are we, are we saying... The first Legend of Zelda is timeless, or we're saying Legend of Zelda? The IP. I don't know. The IP. It, it, I okay. guess it'd be the IP. Okay. However you want to interpret it. Nintendo, <laughs> Nintendo games will be timeless yeah. because that's what Nintendo do, right? Yeah. They're just like, All right. make yeah. another Mario. There's another Mario. Do you want another Mario? Who yeah. needs another Mario? I'm going to punch on the face of Mario's now. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, possibly yeah. we have a local one in, with Hollow Knight, mm. depending on what happens mm. there. Yeah. That's got a strong start. Very good that one. That could be very cool, yeah. Art-wise, it can be timeless because it's not using... The, the, like, the thing that ages everything is 3D and mm. they don't have 3D. Mm. So, if there's no hard edges, like... Yeah, I, I, I could definitely... Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah. yeah, what about, like, Cuphead? I was just going like, to say yeah. Cuphead. That was going to be the one I was going to say, yeah. And they're getting that Netflix show, yeah. like, oh, that's right, yeah. next week or whatever. That's cool, because it jumps know. from just being a game to now, like, across, you know, a TV. Like, it's an IP now. It's just from a game, mm. it's, it's yeah. now IP. Yeah. Now, could that be... Because that could be timeless, but, like, it's based on, like, what is it, like, 20s cartoons or something like that's that? Timeless. Like, so, <laughs> is, that, is that timeless, or is it because they've brought it back... Well, if they keep making Cuphead games and movies, it's <laughs> an I, interesting I think, one. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the question. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, all right. What? It's, it's. You have to go real. The timeless stuff is the stuff that's real simple. Mm, so yeah. if you're talking narrative, I'm going to guess you have to avoid any kind of politics. I had a. I, had a, I remember I had this. De- this conversation with a friend and I don't know if this kind of relates to this. Um, we tried to start a podcast like in, in uni about game development Blasphemy. and I asked, yeah. bless for me, Alex. Bless me. I know, right? <laughs> I didn't know you at the time. You weren't born yet. Um, it was, 
I said, how long? The question I posed was, how long does like something time have to pass before? Oh, how do I word this? Okay, if you made well, I guess they, they, you, they do this now. I was thinking, okay, to call the duties and stuff, they're it's like culturally accepted. It seems to be to you know make games about World War Two, World War One, even though like you have family members who live that and like the horrors with it. I was kind of saying like. What is an acceptable amount of time before you can make a game about, um, you know, the Iraq War or an invasion of North Korea? No, not an invasion of like North Korea invading someone or Russia doing like Russia. What's going on with Russia at the moment? Can they do a, a Call of Duty um, Russia with what's going on at the moment, or would they say that too soon? Like, but you will yeah. know that in a hundred years, not even a hundred years, in fifty years, if Call of Duty is still going, which let's be honest, they'll do a Call of Duty. And but they already do that already like there's already Iraq war yeah I was gonna style say Call of things. Duty does already involve wars yeah. that are ongoing I think that are maybe mm. five years old or something like that and like um, Spec Ops like that was like 2012 and that was about like Middle East wars mm. yeah right. yeah. I'm pretty sure there's been but one that had a pretty cool yeah. purpose for it like. I'm pretty sure there's been one around like a dystopian future with North Korea as the villain I don't know I swear, like, I've seen one that has done that before. So, it's, like, future potential things, you know? What's the thing people say is, like, uh, 10 years after a, a horrific event is when you're allowed to start making jokes about it? Yeah. Comedy pl- tragedy plus time equals tragedy comedy. Plus time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Blake, what was it? Black it Ops was, like, 2. Call of Duty. Black Ops yeah. 2. Is, and I think Advanced, Advanced Warfare is... Uh, North Korea is an antagonist faction. It really depends how it's done, I guess. If, I mean, if they were laughing about it, it probably wouldn't be funny. But because mm. um, so there was that Call of Duty game, Modern Warfare Two, I think, where they had the mission where you're you're a terrorist or you play as an undercover terrorist. I can't oh, remember, but but you shoot the people in the airport mm. as oh, like no an act Russian. of terrorism. Mm. And like shortly before the game was released, that actually happened, or something similar happened in real life. Mm. And so they ended up making that an optional mission. Which mm. is a good move, I think. Yeah, for um, sure. But they didn't not release it then. They didn't cut it from the game. And mm. I don't think anyone had uproar because they made it kind of, uh, yeah, optional. So do you reckon those games then that depict a real, either a real or like pseudo real, which is fake, but you know, like it could be real. Does that age it? It sets it in time. Mm. Because it's always especially, no, like, it, yeah, you know, it, it's a, like, you know, there's that thing with like games as cultural heritage mm. of like recording histories and incidences and stuff like that. Like, mm. a game could be a really cool, like, if something happens to you and you make a game about it, like, that's a pretty cool artifact that exists in that time where those memories were fresh to you or where the people who had those lived experience made it, right? It's like more authentic and it's like a way of recording that history. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I guess it needs to be careful, but like, make, well, like make it careful that it it didn't actually happen, like or accurately, de- or accurately depicts it, or yeah, yeah or is accurate, I guess. Yeah. yeah, which whichever, but yeah, you know what does age a lot is uh, future sci-fi. I was gonna because say that the moment that year passes, <laughs> if it's not exactly how it is, everyone's like, Ugh. "Well, <laughs> where's my hoverboard?" Yeah, yeah that's much. Yeah. <laughs> that, I think that's the beauty of um, revisiting 
Alien Isolation, as in Alien Isolation revisiting the Alien franchise. Because if you watch the Alien movie, you're like, this is so old. Like they're using basically like DOS looking screens and stuff like that. But then Alien Isolation, where that technology has now eclipsed, we go like, oh, okay, there was no technology that looked like that. So now it becomes this like timeless bubble mm. almost. Yeah. You know? Well, mm. I mean, I'm thinking like even Back to the Future. What what is it about that movie? It's done in such a way where it, like it doesn't really matter that the technology doesn't exist that we can't take tiny pizzas and hydrate them into full-size pizzas <laughs> there's, there's so much of a focus i think in both those back to the future movies it's like the narrative it's not the no, both both hang on both no, no no as in yeah the back to the, the future f- and the sequel alien Isolation. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i mean the first two being set in the future because the third one's set in the past like they're both you don't. You uh, probably don't realize, safe, safe. Uh, or you know, look back. I mean, everyone knows the hoverboards and all that sort of stuff. But like the first one's a love. It's a love movie. Do you know what I mean? It's like a. It's a romantic movie, and uh, the second one, I can't, I can't even really remember the, the plot. It's probably well, yeah, it's, it's probably more sci-fi adventure that kind of that kind of um, movie. But you, you, they focus so much on the narrative that you you really don't mm. look back and go, oh, that looks bad. Yeah, because then when they show that shark hologram, yeah. and it's all still cool. Yeah. Poly, it's still cool. <laughs> Come yeah, on, it's man. Come it's on. like a PlayStation <laughs> One, you know, that's coming back. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's I, demo one with yeah. the what's that the, thing that people, dinosaur? Yeah. people say that uh, like the best sci-fi is actually like the sci-fi part's just a vehicle for mm. philosophy or for kind of yeah. social analysis. Mm. Yeah, and I guess if it's doing that right, then it doesn't really matter about the tech part. Mm. Mm. Agreed. Yeah, if it fits in with the narrative well, if it's not just like solely focused on the yeah the the sci-fi the technology. Wow. Well, well. Susanna. Uh, yeah. So, um, I've been wondering, I know none of you really play a lot of Fortnite, but um, there's been this cool thing happening in Fortnite in January. And uh, it's, it's still up in creative, but you have to put in a code to get to the map now. But originally, uh, just throughout January, when you launched into creative um, in Fortnite, uh, if you turned around behind you was a giant art gallery. Oh wow! Um, and inside, yeah, and inside the art gallery was um, a copy of the Cools art installation that's currently on at the Serpentine Art Gallery in London. Oh wow! Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, this is cool. So you could go in and you could walk down the like walk down all the little gallery passages and look at the Cools like work, like their paintings and like sculptures and all this stuff and there was like even skins and stuff you could get like in that but um i thought it was really really cool because like fortnite right like creative mode like you just land you just turn around and you go oh look i can look inside an art gallery like how mm. yeah sorry many- at risk of yeah. sounding like an old person what is creative mode in fortnite <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so it's like um, not battle royale and not save the world. So it's like go in and build. Okay. So cool. you can go in and you can build a map and you can share it with your friends, or you can just go in and build stuff like it's Minecraft. Mm. Yeah. But the moment you enter time. that mode, this museum is already there. Yeah. So yeah, cool. it was in January. It was like the launch map for creative mode. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's you, there's no threat of people shooting you. There's no you know, like risk in doing so. You've just got as much time in the world as you want to walk around and look at the art. And you don't have to, like, if you don't want to. It's just there. There's no reward for doing it. There's no, like, you know, points or anything. It's just, like, 
do you want to look at the art? Cool, have mm. a look if you want. Um, I thought it was really yeah. cool because, like, yeah. how, you know, how many... When I was a kid, like, my parents didn't have time to take me to an art mm. gallery, right? Like, but I might have wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, you know, this is something... With, uh, I'm going to bring up NFTs again. <laughs> What's um, that? Uh, at, at an hour 11. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Mark your checkpoints. Counter. Um, it's something that I actually really enjoyed when I was exploring that. And now this is not something you need NFTs for, obviously. Mm. We're seeing it here. Uh, but one thing that was being done is these virtual art galleries um, and create a made where you could go in and fill it with art that you own or your own art that you've created and stuff. And this, even though it's like cool. digital and you're walking around with your third person person, there's still something cool about that experience of being able to explore the museum space. Yeah. Mm. It's, it feels very like what those metaverse companies are trying to do, but it's already happening. Yeah. It's just, it's already yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. How, how, Susanna, you, you basically mentioned that, you know, you wanted to go to art galleries as a kid, so you've had an interest in art galleries. How does that translate to you that... Because I, I don't have, like, me personally, I don't have the I have patience for art galleries, but I really, really respect people who do, and I envy it. Um, but if you're pay, playing a game that's so brightly colored and visually stimulating, how, how do you switch off that world around you to just focus on this piece of art that doesn't fit in that world? Yeah, well, I think that, like, um, I think Epic have done a really good job here because, like, if you look at the, the gallery, it's like bland mm. it's like desat bricks like the ground is like mm. a light gray it looks like, like it, they've they've kind of built gallery. this yeah this dull kind yeah. of so so that the art which you know is that bright color stands out really well inside it yeah that must have been a i wonder if that there was must have been a well, is that based on a real gallery like the the, the architecture well, it's on display in the serpentine but i don't think it looks quite the same but i don't know if maybe it uses the same bricks or something yeah right it's um yeah it's really cool is it also is there any trigger volumes in front of the art where if you get too close and touch it some old security guard comes out and yells at you <laughs> what are you doing actually well, I, th I think that would make it better be cool. because there's always been that kind of fear respect yeah. with an art gallery of like this has to be revered but if you're a game i think that's another thing i was getting i was like this game you can jump around and destroy stuff but it's telling you to be quiet for like five minutes and look at this art like what stops you just you can it? still like you can still like run around and do stupid emotes in front of the like <laughs> you know people are always doing like you know dumb dances in front of the art and stuff. <laughs> you can still do that it's just you know you've got a nice backdrop i guess for your selfies and so i, I, like, I like the you way know, this oh, go costa oh, i was gonna say i like the way it just it outlined it just it goes it's basically a trojan horse for pop art because mm. people think of this game in you know being battle battle royale and all that sort of stuff and 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 like the younger people that play it as well but then when you go in there and you see this sort of stuff it's like someone might not have been interested in seeing this but it's there and you'll go and explore it and then now you've been exposed to this to this art that you wouldn't yeah have. to the stuff that you might not have been exposed to before yeah. like whether because you know your parents like mine were mm. like too busy to take to an art gallery or because of covid because you mm -hmm. can't go out or like whatever you can still and and i think like you know like you know this i feel like maybe epic you're doing a good thing mm. here mm. like saying we've got all this power like maybe we should be doing some sort of like you know 
something more than just the game with with the power that yeah. we've got. There's like, a there's a problem with um, museums and art galleries where they only display like thirty percent of what they actually have in their collection because they don't have the space. Mm, yeah. um, and Costa, you remember yeah, this? Yeah, uh, the museum. Yeah. The museum yeah. had that, uh, what did they call it? Was it, I can't remember if the company that won it was called Sandpit or if their project no, was the called Sandpit. Was, the company that won it. So it was a, it was a challenge, I think, um, to digitize or come up with a virtual way of representing all the items that the museum holds but doesn't display because there's not enough space. Um, and I can't remember, it was a, this was a challenge in, in South Australia a few years ago and a company had won it called Sandpit, but yeah. Was it to do with Aboriginal art as well? I think it had or a Aboriginal component of that. So there was, I remember there was a, there was a cool concept where um, there would be pieces of um, like Aboriginal artifacts that could be told through a virtual like um, Aboriginal elder. And it would kind of like, I think it was some AR component to it where you would put your phone and... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, there was like a, a cool AR concept of it. And there was a lot of cool concepts that came through that that project. But I'm assuming that that would be something that's around the world. There's probably a lot of art galleries and museums that have collections that um, aren't uh, dis on display because of physical space limitations. Mm, yeah. That maybe you can kind of do something like that because mm. they had like in Fortnite 2 a while ago they had um they have these live events where they have like musicians come mm. and do mm. things and they did like um they had uh that 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 tones and i um that dance monkey i don't know it's something my, my kid likes and, they <laughs> Blame the kid. And, and you like what what they did is they had like a live performance like inside Fortnite, but they had you kind of playing through the the soundtrack so like like a bit like what that um the the radiohead the kid amnesiac thing inside um unreal did too where you kind of like played through the song and as you went through different sections of the song, you did different things, like went into different rooms and then it played the next part of the song or you kind of mm. fell through the floor for mm -hmm. a particular part that was maybe super high tempo and they kind of like put you inside the music video yep, in a way. Yep, yep. That's yeah. so cool. Because I think, mm. I mean, because you've got that interactivity and like it can transform over time, like you're saying, which is awesome. Uh, but also just like real museums, which we don't currently get from jpegs is sense of space and sense of scale mm. so you've always kind of got your character there and like if it's a big piece like we're seeing in the picture here you're looking up at it and it's quite a huge kind of painting mm. um and the other thing i saw uh when i was looking at the nft galleries is i know alex you were talking about scary sounds but um i actually really like the spatial audio you get in there so you you can walk past a painting that calls out to you or, or is playing like music that you like and that's actually what my experience was is I walked past a painting that was like a looped actually it was looped video um, and uh, it was playing this really cool kind of hip hop beat and it actually like made me want to go check it out um, so you then have that spatial thing going uh, but then also just the very fact that in these galleries you start seeing 10 second loop videos becoming their own kind of mm -hmm. genre of medium oh, itself yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that's that is cool, yeah. that's opened up here as well I guess 
the the NFT layer on top of that would be like you could own a piece of that or you could own that art and then maybe you could even like rent it out to an art gallery and you could you know there's so much yeah. like it's you're just talking about the digital ownership component of it it also increases what you can do with it like um what a digital painting is mm. you can make Ganondorf come out of it on his horse yeah well that's right <laughs> well, you can jump into it yeah yeah like Mario yeah that's exactly what I was thinking of when I saw this actually <laughs> oh, that's awesome. it's getting me excited because I think this is when we bring up NFTs and I'm not I'm not hating on them but I think there are so many cool ideas coming out of that space which don't need to be tied to NFTs mm. and I think this yeah. is one of them yeah and I, I'd yeah. love to see a lot of those ideas just be fleshed out separately first mm. well yeah. here's a, well here's a, yeah, exactly here's like a concept that doesn't need it like it's being here it's it's in it's being implemented right here and it doesn't actually use nfts yeah and there's things like 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 just the accessibility element of it is really cool to me like if you think about things like the live shows like they had that travis scott show Mm -hmm. inside um uh, fortnite as well but like you could fly around and like look from above and stuff so like uh, if you can't go to live shows for like whatever reason, like you know you might not have been to a gig before, you might not be able to go to gigs because of COVID or you know accessibility issues. But you can go to this. You can fly right. above and you can have whatever view you want, and you can kind of like be a part of mm-hmm. it. And like you might not be able to yeah. do those things. It's that, pretty cool. That would be really interesting for people who suffer from like claustrophobia mm. or social anxiety mm. and kind of things like that yeah. as well. I like I don't know whether you would still get that from being amongst digital people but i'm sure like like you said you can fly above the crowd or whatever that possibly opens up these experiences to people that you know would otherwise have too much anxiety to go Mm -hmm. and attend Mm. it's just interesting right like a you know game to be doing all this Mm. like like you said it's this metaverse idea it's like what else can we be what else can we they, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. They have like the the financial freedom to explore because they're not really, you know, yeah. they they already got a successful game, so it's kind of like, what else can we do with this game? Yeah, what can we do with this world? Yeah. I guess isn't yeah. it at this point? Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, Costa. Yeah. Coming back Costa, to you got to segue us. Come on, man. Segue. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Talking about speaking about new experiences and research experiences. <laughs> At least you didn't say, speaking of video games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so this is more of an announcement, but there's a pretty cool summit that happens every year, um, usually is hosted in North America, but um, this year it's going to be hosted online. So it's the Games User Research Summit. Um, and it, for anyone who isn't familiar, it's uh, part of the games user research um igda group so it's all around like um user research for games user experience design processes user testing so it's a pretty cool event um to check out and i just want to plug the discord as well there's a discord um uh, games user research so grux uh sig community on discord I'll, i'll drop the link to the to the conference as well but um it's a really cool Discord. I, I, I recently joined because I'm trying to do some playtesting um, and I'm organizing some playtesting uh, for a game. And I jumped in there and there was like such a cool experience of 
you, you, you go into the Discord and you pick like, you know, your early stage, like early part of your career, you're a researcher or you're a game designer or whatever your role is. And then it kind of curates the channels based on that. Um, but there's a really cool uh, community there of researchers that you can just flick a message and you get a response like almost straight away. I had a couple of questions in there around running remote playtesting sessions. Um, and I just dropped a message in the in the tools channel and within like two, three hours, I had, you know, five or six responses from like PhD, you know, researchers yeah. um, who do playtesting for games like on, uh, like, for, get, like Sony games and like, Fortnite and all these really big companies and all, they're all just in this little discord community and you can just reach out to them like with a message and it's interesting because I was I've been reading a book about um, user re like games user research and the author was the, the person who responded to me oh, in the discord so cool. and I was like <laughs> cool. yeah I was like so over the moon by that because <laughs> I'm always taking his advice you know f through the book but then I was able to just like interact with them through through this discord so yeah if you if anyone's interested um the conference is on may 19th may 20th um it's a event for industry professionals interested in games user research user experience uh, again included but including but not limited to user testing game analytics user experience design and processes um and literally has gone from a handful of researchers to like thousands of attendees there's a lot of different streams panels workshops and different like methods and tools that they showcase to um, leverage player data and the psychology behind game design as well. So um, yeah, check it out and um, yeah, hopefully everyone can attend. Yeah, awesome. You know, um, UX design and UI and stuff like that, I think so important. Uh, and I guess my example isn't strictly games, but I think it is connected. Um, when it comes to making music, I used a program called FL Studio for about 10 years. Um, and it does awesome work. Um, it's, it's like you could get a free demo and make heaps of stuff with it. Um, it does everything you need it to do. But then I tried Ableton Live, another piece of software, um, at a friend's house. Um, that was actually Dakota, who we'll have on the show at some point. Um, and I found that you could do a lot of the same things, but with less clicks, mm -hmm. less menus you had to get through. Um, and eventually I decided to make the switch um, and give it a proper shot. And what I found is even though it seems like, you know, doing an extra click here and there is laziness, when you're doing something creative, what that is is one less barrier from your head to the page. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually having that kind of good UX design, good uh, UI design and stuff like that is, yeah, a game changer for creative stuff. So, excuse the pun. Uh, so, I don't know if you guys find with games as well, like it's, it can be the difference between enjoying a game and not, I guess. It, it's interesting from the game's perspective because when you're doing UX or UI on traditional software, it's always like get the job done as quickly as possible. Like there's never, um, like satisfaction is, is not always the top priority. It's just kind of like if, if it's a bad... If it's, you know, doing something really bleak or, you know, you're kind of, you just have, like you're ordering insurance, you know what I mean? Or something like that through a website. Like it doesn't have to be the most enjoyable thing. Like it's, it's not really that enjoyable. Um, and so things like, you know, the speed at which you can do it and the ease of which you can do it is always like at the top of just 
go in, get it done, and, and get out. And you can do it as fast as possible and as easy as possible. Then you know, um, there you go. But with with games, you've got that whole layer of enjoyment. Like people need to enjoy the experience. And I think there was a there's a really cool part in that book, uh, the Games User Research book, which was like Mario. If it was you know the best UX not taking into account that it's a game would just be like one button that says, you know, save the princess and you'd press yeah. it and the game <laughs> yeah. would be done, right? So, yeah. you know, you the game like a game is a challenge. So you have to work in that that friction, obviously, to, to be able to play the game and have the challenges to go through. But if you're struggling to actually play the game, then that's mm-hmm. an issue. If you're struggling to use the controls, if you're struggling to press the right buttons or, uh, you know, navigate through menus or... Uh, even something as simple as like you know hit something in the game or interact with something in the game then, then that's where UX is so important in games to just streamline that yeah, process totally this is something I found when I was playing a lot of the game jam games that just came from the game jam just gone is um, and I mean in 48 hours you do not have time to do UX <laughs> or proper UI and stuff like that so uh, no one's fault really but there were definitely games there that I thought looked interesting but after about a minute of not being able to work out how to control my character properly or mm-hmm. what I was meant to do. Um, yeah, I just gave up because, and and then there, that is the difference between playing a game and not playing it. So. Yeah, mm. for sure. And uh, we were, were talking with was it was it Serica who said this about like the not need to reinvent the wheel yeah. when it comes to UX. Like UX is all about a narrative. Mm. Like doesn't matter even what you said. Like ordering insurance, right? There's a narrative to ordering mm. or looking up insurance. So that you're ex- you're not expecting to save a, a princess or something yeah. ordering insurance like yeah. it should follow the beats there should be similar things um and yeah don't reinvent the wheel yeah. like i think it was i think it was also jillian who mentioned it um always designing oh something using like making something super familiar like if if uh for example if you're playing in the context of video games if you're playing a first-person shooter, you're used to the left... You know, say on a controller, the left stick is to move, the the right stick is to look around. Like, you're not going to swap that all of a sudden in your game. Like, that... Reinventing the wheel in that, in that um, context isn't actually being helpful. Even on a keyboard, like, people are used to WASD for moving around in certain kinds of games, first-person games. You're not going to change it to, like, TFGH. Like... <laughs> What you know? What I mean, like, what is that gonna? People are familiar with it, so it's it's just gonna make things actually diff- well, more difficult. As someone who was born with a hand in the center of my chest, that's exactly how I play <laughs> games, and I have to constantly remap it. It's a sore point, so thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, totally. I understand. Alex, I'll <laughs> sound weird. I understand. I'll, I'll, I'll segue this onto you, Alex. Do we have an understanding? <laughs> Um, yeah, all right. Last, last story. Um, uh, there's a reason why I'm taking the segue in this, which we, can go <laughs> which we can go into, which is Sony buying Bungie for 3.6 billion. Come on, Sony. It's old. We, we were buying companies last week. We don't do this anymore. <laughs> um, and yeah, the reason why I'm uh, segueing it <laughs> is really, I was talking to a friend about this, um, Someone was hoping would come on, but come into the cafe, but uh, I guess they're getting held up. Basically, I don't play PlayStation. I don't play any Bungie games. So this has no bearing on me. So I had a friend ask, what's my opinion? 
on this. And I just literally, in the exact words, I said, I don't really care. I don't know if I said really. I think it just said, I don't care. And that was taken as, I don't care what you have to say, what anyone has to say. It more meant, oh, what do you think about Sony buying Bungie? Oh, I don't care. Because it has no bearing on me. Um, From now on, Alex, make sure you just be like, I am completely neutral on this subject. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please I tell me to... your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care I what you have to, to say. <laughs> yeah. I, I... <laughs> yeah. That's um, probably why that hasn't come on today. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, he doesn't want to... I told him it'd be about this. He's like, great, we're going to relive this. So, um, but look, it's still an important... So, and, you know, as people who have a game podcast, it's it's probably important that I know about this or, you know, could get at least educated about this and what this means. But, I mean, we kind of covered what it means to acquire a company in, in the Activision purchase and stuff like that. But... Um, Something that's interesting about it is that Bungie's remaining an independent subsidiary of Sony Interactive um, after the buyout, which is which is pretty interesting. So, yeah, it's good. It's interesting they made a point of that as well. I think because that is a question that came up with the other buyouts recently: is how much creative control do they still have? So Sony's probably using that as a look at us. We're giving them plenty of creative control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like that, like the other ones, like in what Dan was saying in a previous podcast, it's just like more kind of revenue streams mm. for the, the big companies. Like, oh, you know, okay, cool. Let's like see if we can get more income from Bungie as mm. well. And Maybe this is like a game of Monopoly where they're buying up everything and then they're planning to, mm. in late game, try and make yeah. trades with the other companies. So like they're going to try and sell Bungie back to Microsoft for double the price. Or it goes, yeah. <laughs> I just got a hotel. On it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they basically have a gun to Bungie's head since uh, Microsoft took Activision. They're like, let's all be cool it's, here. It, yeah. <laughs> Don't make this a Xbox exclusive. <laughs> we all walk out of here. Yeah, safe. Pretty much. Because De- Destiny, I think at the moment actually is on the game is on Game Pass. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, it's oh. funny because like Bungie was owned by Microsoft up until 2010. And then they became independent, obviously losing Halo as well uh, in the process. Microsoft retained Halo. But then they signed a 10-year deal with Activision. And then they just got out of that 10-year deal in 2020. So they were, like, Activision was essentially exclusively publishing all Bungie games, which at the time, and still is, um, uh, uh, Destiny. So they've kind of gone, and and now Microsoft owns Activision. (laughs) It's kind of they just mm. escaped uh, Microsoft, you know, like Microsoft would have bought Activision if they're in that same deal, it still would have been under Microsoft, but they've narrowly escaped them again. But um, yeah, I wonder if Should this we, will uh, enable them to do more games in different areas or if they'll just continue on with Destiny for the next 10 years. It'd be interesting. Should we talk about one of the biggest acquisitions that have happened recently, which is mm. Wordle being acquired by the New York Times? <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's with <laughs> Wordle? I haven't oh, played it yet, but I've, I've seen it everywhere. <laughs> it's for smart people, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you read the New York Times, Susanna? <laughs> well, you're probably not their audience. <laughs> yeah, that's why, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't played it either, but look, I say that as a joke. 
but I think it is interesting that we're seeing it at the same time as all these other big yeah. acquisitions Whoa. that we're actually seeing a non-game company mm. buying. And it is huge, right? Yeah. Like, all, all my non-gamer friends play Wordle. Like, yeah. Oh, this. Yeah, the thing, <laughs> yeah, the thing with the squares. Yeah. You have to guess the word. That's it gives you, like, five chances or something. You have to guess the exact word. And, like, when you... You have to type in a five-letter word, and then it tells you how many of those letters are in the word and how many of them are in the right place. Mm. Um, and then you guess again, and then it, like, you know, gives you that again, and then you guess again, and you got to try and get the word. In this. It's such a simple game, but the whole concept of sharing... Is it you share your results? Is that what it is? It just creates this virality, like, that everyone yeah. gets onto yeah. it. Yeah, it gives you, like, an image of, like, how long it took you to uh, get the green, right. which is, like, the more right. So, like, you got this grid, and it'll be, like, this person had a yellow, and then they had two yellows, and then they had three greens or whatever, and then they got, like, the whole mm. word, and everyone's like, look at me, I got it in three, because uh, they're, like, smarter, and I'm like... So this is like Mastermind. I once got one in five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like that old-school Mastermind game, right? Which one? Oh, I don't know. Is that how that works? Remember uh, the, yeah, you know, I remember that you go one. Go to your auntie's house and that's Master- the only game she yes, has. Yes, <laughs> it was only ever family relatives. <laughs> it was only ever relatives that had it. And it was like, oh man, I remember like the picture on that box, like the... It's like the weird CEO spine. with the yeah, and he's like and he's like whatever. assistant, the sexy secretary or whatever. That yeah, was. it was like you probably couldn't put that on a board game now, but no, uh, yeah. But but it's the thing where so yeah, because you had like you had to choose four colors, I think it was in a row, um, yeah. and then you hide it behind this little like plastic. Is this what you're shield, talking I guess. about? Is this the color you're person? talking about? Sorry, I'm just like, just have a look at. Is that it? I guarantee it is. Well, it's just, it probably is. Um, and uh, yeah, and you'd have we're to. We're all looking at this one. Yeah, we're waiting for. Oh, no, it's, it's, I put it in the in the. that's the exact one. Oh. Yes, Costa, that is the yeah. one. That is the one. Look, she looks like she doesn't even want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Game of the year. Oh, yeah. like, oh my god! I bet you that picture wasn't even taken for uh, this board game. It was just like it's probably selling a stock photo or something. Or something. Or yeah. they were told that it was for like Time Magazine or something. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So you have to guess the four colors, and you get what is it like ten shots or something, and then yeah, you get fired from your job. It sounds like that Wordle is. Yeah, then you get fired from your job. <laughs> what? Right. Um, You're fired. It must be a it must be a big thing because I typed Wordle into Google and a little. Um, Google logo in the top left corner changed to this animation that yeah. says "cold." It's, yeah, like, it's, huge. it's huge. It's legit huge. Ju- like everyone. I just got off Facebook and like as as I was getting off it, like my whole feed was full of those like green and yellow squares, yeah. and I'm like, I can't oh wait to God. not learn what this is about. <laughs> How good is this? Though? I'm sorry. It was, uh, developed by Josh Wardle. <laughs> like he, li- he literally just took his last name and changed one word in it, word. and that's yeah, now the name like, we have. Oh, was it acquired for something like forty million? Or, and he was just the one developer. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I think so. Oh. He would he would have been that's dumb not to amazing. get like acquired because it, this is something that's I mean, I mean it might endure, but it, it's a fad right now. Do you know what I mean? Like it's really popular right now, but it could mm. easily die down quite soon. So smart that he sold it now that it's kind of at this really. Yeah, and I, yeah. I guess in some ways it's the successor to the crossword as well, which is you would probably get in the New York Times. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. It says he created the puzzle game for his partner, 
uh, who loves word games. Oh, well, that's, that's romantic. romantic. Created the prototype yeah, of the game in 2013 yeah. and decided to revisit the game during the pandemic. There and you go, guys. The answer is love. Yeah. <laughs> you want to become successful at video games? Josh, love. Josh Wardle oh. is an artist, product manager, and software too. engineer at Reddit. Interesting. Oh. Same. Ooh. Very cool. All right. Well, something that we didn't get to cover this week, but we're hoping next fortnight we will do a review of the um, SA Games from the Global Game Jam that just happened. So hopefully we can get some devs on, we can play through some games on the stream, um, get the devs on from them and talk about their 48-hour experience and what their thoughts were going into it and the theme. And um, also, also worth mentioning, awesome job, Susanna, at uh, facilitating along with um, Amelia. Yes. But round of applause is deserved. <laughs> Thanks to everybody who helped and all the jammers too. And yeah, it was a fun, fun weekend. I think we all did well for being online. Like, mm. I think everyone did really well. How did and you? F- yeah, some awesome games. How'd you find it on the back end? Yeah, no, I think it went well. Like, it's hard. I think for me, it's always hard online because you can't just walk up to people and say, how you doing? You can't yeah. like have to wait for them to approach you. So I'm like, oh, is everyone okay? I don't know because I can't check on them. Um, or I'm like, is everyone okay? And there's no replies. And I'm like, oh, you know, I can't actually <laughs> see. But I think, um, no, I th- hopefully everyone had a good time. And yeah, if you didn't, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it looks like there was some like really good games that came out of this and just really pretty. Fun Definitely some things. really cool concepts. Um, and yeah, it's like 48 hours is about making a prototype. Mm. So it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be a really cool start. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be awesome next week. We'll next next week. Next fortnight. Um, we'll have some up and running and get some devs in. Well, I can tell you, Susanna, I had a really good time doing the jam. So <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you're there. Yeah. <laughs> I had fun for the first night. <laughs> then I fell asleep. Oh man, alright, we're gonna hear your story <laughs> next episode. Yeah. There is no story. <laughs> the game jam that never was. Some say Alex is still sleeping to this day. <laughs> I, I made a, a, a like looping music track and I made a sprite sheet of a of a fried egg with anxiety and a gun. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> no, I got like um because I was trying to jam as well. Oh wow. But I oh. couldn't like <laughs> So I got like um I, I was because we were making a tabletop RPG. And I got one artifact made because <laughs> we had like it found artifacts and I got one photo photoshopped <laughs> and that was, that was it. So no, yeah, well, I'll join you in the, the revisit, Alex. We'll try again. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's good. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for hanging out in the cafe. Um, Till next time. John, cue us out with the music. And, uh, and guys, don't forget to check out our question this fortnight. Mm. Yeah. Which was, uh, what game do you think is timeless? Or what IP do you think will be timeless? Mm. Yeah. What do you want to see hold up? And, um, oh, worth plugging. we got Unwind coming up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good team at Unwind. Uh, February 22nd, I believe it is. So get on Eventbrite. Um get the link in the description and uh yeah hopefully see you all there awesome see you guys bye everybody bye everyone
Café Bullions is hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBullions or by emailing us at hello at LiveBullions.com.